are listening to the Elephant in the Room podcast with your host, Sutta Singh. Each week, we will bring you a diverse range of inspiring speakers on issues of inequality and inequity. You will hear stories about fairness, justice, belonging, and about best practice for creating a more inclusive workplace. So, if you are an individual or leader interested in a fairer, equitable, compassionate society and workplace, this podcast is for you. My guest on the Elephant in the Room podcast this week is Dr. Lata Deer, Professor of Organization and Leadership Studies and Director Student Affairs at SPJN Institute of Management and Research. She's also the author of a book on HDFC Group founder Deepak Parekh. Good morning, Lata. Lovely to have you here on the Elephant in the Room podcast today. Good morning. I'm excited to be a part of this whole journey. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. I'm interested in hearing your perspectives on a lot of things. So I have a whole host of questions, but let's get started. First, tell our audience about who you are and a bit about your background. Who am I? <laughs> okay, I am a professor of organizational behavior and leadership at SPJIMR, one of the top schools in India. That's my formal introduction. And I'm a psychologist, but my major, major passion lies in mental health. And that's something that I'm really passionate about. And that's maybe the why for most of the work that I do. I was reading your CV on LinkedIn and it says you're a behavioral scientist and professor of organization and leadership. What does your day job involve? It's a plethora of things, right? Generally, when you think of saying that you're a professor in a traditional institute or a college, you're mainly yeah. teaching, right? Teaching, of course, is a course, but there's a lot of research that we need to work on, on the work that we present in classrooms, case studies that we write, articles that we need to publish. That's one part of the whole process. We do a lot of management development programs for organizations. The academia, industry kind of connections and meetup become extremely important if we need to really solve real life problems in the world. So that's where we collaborated a lot with industry sectors across India. We do consulting work with them. Sometimes we write a book also. <laughs> <laughs> yes, congratulations uh, on your book. Thank you. A very, very interesting person and a very interesting organization. As you know, it's an, a completely Indian-based genesis in India, the HDFC a group of organizations. And on uh, Mr. H.T. Parikh and Deepak Parikh, who are the pioneers of this financial sector. I've added some more things in my plethora of work, which is Vishwas uh, creating psychological safe spaces and counseling sessions. I do a lot of personal growth labs and leadership labs. I think that would be my forte, if you had to say. Uh, maybe I'll take a minute to kind of tell you the difference. We do workshops, we do classes, we do labs. So when we do sessions on, say, leadership, for example, we're just giving you the knowing piece of knowledge, of theories, etc., the moment we get into a workshop, we talk about some skills, communication, negotiation, team building, etc. But the moment we talk about a lab, we're actually impacting the being. Where we give them a place and a space where they can experiment with their thoughts and feelings. And that's the space that I really like to work on. That sounds really interesting because that actually helps you to see how you're going to put into practice your learnings and your experiences. That's really interesting. But coming back to something that you said earlier, you said the work in mental health was the why for everything that you do. So how did you get interested in mental health issues? And tell us more about the mental health initiative that you've launched at SPJN. Like all good children who do well in their studies in India, we either become a doctor or an engineer. So I was going to be a doctor. Uh, very soon realized that doctor was not something that I wanted to be. I was not really interested. 
So I had, you know, forward-looking parents who said, okay, then drop out. And I dropped out from medicine and finally got into psychology, right? And psychology was not something that was happening decades back, right? It was a lot of stigma, but I did get into psychology. So that maybe was the genesis, the connecting of the dots of my why today. I just went on to psychology without knowing why I was doing psychology. And I completed my graduation, my master's. Did an MBA in HR just to make my parents feel a little better about themselves. Okay, that's <laughs> done. They know it as an MBA. And then, of course, I did my MPhil and my PhD in psychology. But uh, when I came into a B school, mental health psychology was not something that people really talked about like a decade and a half back. People were generally talking about quantitative toolkits like finance, marketing, etc. And I wanted to bring in psychology. But the moment I would go to the corporate world and say I'm a psychologist, people say, wow, no. And that's when I said, I'm a behavioral scientist, right? It sounds more yeah. fancy. Acceptable. Um, more acceptable, yeah. But I kind of felt psychology was important because at the heart of everything that we do is understanding human behavior. And that is when I started focusing on labs. I started focusing on understanding the psychological mechanisms of what the aspirations, the goals, the thoughts and feelings of human beings are. As we say, we have no idea about our emotions at all. We do not know. We know the world, we know the moon, but we do not know our own emotions, right? And we do not understand our own thoughts. So that's where I started kind of focusing a lot on that. And I started conducting these labs. And that is when students would keep coming back to me after the lab and say, like, we want to talk about ourselves because suddenly the Pandora's box is opened and they started thinking about themselves, mm -hmm. reflecting about their behavior and their thoughts and feelings. And they would just keep coming back to me. I had this one student who came to me sometime back, Sudha, and that's kind of left me an impact is where he walked into my cabin and says, you know, ma'am, I go into other professors' room to understand marketing and finance and getting a job. But when I walk into your room, I feel that I'm going to get answers to my life. And he said it in Hindi, which is Vishwas yeah, yeah. And Vishwas in English means trust. I trust that I'll get me answers. I have that Vishwas that something you know yeah. good will happen. I feel no. That kind of hit me and I started realizing that there were a lot of people coming, students coming to me, looking for that agenda conversations, which then led to more crucial conversations in my cabin than they're talking about themselves. But those crucial conversations needed that safe space where they could happen, right? So I started thinking a little more deeper. And I said, here is a space maybe I have created, not knowingly, but it is happening. Okay, there must be something that I'm doing. So there's an art to it, but there's a science to it. So I started kind of deep, delving deep into the science of creating those psychological safe spaces. And I also realized that there are these people who are coming to me. What if there are others out there who do not have an excess and don't even know that they can go to somebody, right? Because the moment, Sudha, we talk about mental health, we talk about mental illness, we talk about anxiety and depression. And we know that there are places we can go to, but we may not go because of stigma. And that is when I kind of thought that we could create the space and I started reaching out to students and then formalized an entire process. And we launched Vishwas in September 2015. And that is the time when UN, in the Sustainable Development Goals, added mental health. I got to that later, but it was like some God's connection building up, but that's what we did. So I think we are latching on to a higher goal on the Sustainable Development Goal number three, which is mental health. And I think that's when I started getting more and more involved, more and more deeper. And the why of what I'm doing in my life. That's such yeah. an amazing and interesting story. And why the students come to you, perhaps because you're able to show that empathy. Because it's not easy to connect. They won't open up at all if they cannot trust you. Or they yeah. don't believe that you are that kind of person who will keep their faith in this huge responsibility. 
Yeah, you're right. It's a huge responsibility because when somebody opens out their heart to you, you know, you need to honor their being. Yeah. And building the trust is like a verb, right? Like I always say, my students, like love is a verb. It's not a noun. In the same way, trust is a verb. You need to build it up. You need to show your own vulnerabilities and if you need to share something about yourself for them to be able to kind of get into that space where they can then form a trusting relationship. So our society, you know, you've spoken about a culture and our parents, the expectations, everything is designed to sort of create pressure around you. Mm-hmm. Parents want their children to succeed at all costs. And, you know, sometimes I can understand it because... There are so few jobs. There are so many people. There is so much aspiration. And this is what our conditioning has been, sociocultural conditioning. We believe we cannot succeed unless we put ourselves through that grind and that pressure. Can we change things without changing the mindset? Yeah. So being a psychologist, let me go back to talking about a psychologist, Carl Rogers. He talks about unconditional positive regard. His therapy starts with saying that, I give you the unconditional positive regard. And it's a humanistic psychology movement which says that I accept you for who you are. I lay no conditions. And that is what is not happening. We have so many conditions that we put on us people, whether it's parents or teachers or society. So many, many conditions. I will respect you. I will love you only if you meet those conditions. We're starting on the wrong track, number one. In our society, we have expectations. We have conditions. We want to change every individual because we believe sitting in some high society as parents or as teachers or as whoever we want in authority figures telling ourselves that we know how the world should run and we have made certain rules and you need to follow those rules. Who says? Yeah. Okay, I think we start with the wrong kind of an assumption saying that we know what's best. And so that you know for sure that COVID turned the world upside down and it told you that whatever assumptions you were thinking is not actually going to happen. The way you thought the work would happen is not happening. No. And two years down the line, have we learned our lessons? Not at all. Because you want the world to go back to where it started and everybody say, oh, let's go back to the novel. What is normal? And I'm sorry if I'm digressing, but the question that, you know, really comes to my mind is the world will not be able to go back because history demands that we go forward. We can learn our lessons from what's happened, but we need to move forward. But we are not. Again, we're stuck in the same rat race, that herd mentality, the expectations, judging people based on their success, on how much do you earn, and so create a kind of pressure on our kids as parents. And we want them to live up to those particular expectations. I've already put some conditions and I've already wanted to change you from who you are. Interestingly, let's look at nature. A lot to learn from nature. We don't tell a rose plant to grow like a daffodil. Okay, <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that. Then why are we doing it to human beings? And so we are doing it to satisfy our own quality goals. There is so much of mental health issues that we see around ourselves. If we don't look at only anxiety, depression, suicide, we look at loneliness. We look at FOMO. We look at uh, cognitive dissonance. We look at fear of failure. We look at how to manage our disappointments. These are across the spectrum of human race. And how many of us, if you had to question ourselves, how many of us actually thriving in our lives absolutely i think uh, definitely a mindset change is required yeah so it will not happen without a mindset change also and this whole thing is because how we are all socialized from our childhood to the time we become old i think there are constantly expectations at every stage on how you should behave 
and who you should be, who you need to change yourself to be. I'm moving to the next question. There's huge social stigma around failure. And to a large extent, I see this driven by fear, fear of what people will think. But is it really driven by that fear of what people will think? Or is it driven by the deep inequalities that we have in our society, the lack of a safety net, you know, like you have in some countries? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I kind of heard somebody saying failure or success is just a feedback. It is no reflection about who you are as a person. That's extremely important because failure is something that's happening outside me and it's happening and I need to respond to it. And then I go back to another a very famous psychiatrist I'm very, very fond of. It's a book, Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. It's a very interesting book to read. And he talks about when he was in the concentration camp and he was fighting so many issues, wasn't sure whether he'd be alive, but he kind of told himself that between the stimulus and the response lies the space. And in that space lies my freedom to choose. So failures are inevitable. They will happen. But how do I respond to that failure is the choice that I have to make. And that's something that we have to do. So while we can say that the society is not accepting our failures, and I'm trying to kind of bring in another concept here, which is Stephen Covey's concept about circle of concern and circle influence. I am concerned about what the world is doing. I'm concerned about the society and expectations and parents and teachers. We want to enable our youth to be able to get the power Mm. to decide what they can influence and that is what they can control. And the control lies in that space where I decide what I will do with my failure. If I look at my failure as a reflection of who I am, a reflection of my own, my self-esteem is going to go down. And I'm going to keep on remunerating about that whole stuff. But on the other hand, if in that space I decide that's a failure, it's just a feedback, I am going to reflect and find out cognitively what went wrong. Why did I fail? What could I have done have this conversation with myself and with other people who understand me, I will be able to accept failure because failure is like, you know, there's a very old saying which is failures are a stepping stone to success. I have failed, right? There is no way that I'm not going to fail. But in India or this side of the world where there are so many people, right? Opportunities are less. Mm. And getting into that prime college, prime job, you have to fight. Like somebody said very interestingly, getting into a top B-school in India is tougher than getting into, say, a Harvard or a Stanford because very short. So I think it's something that as a culture, we need to first of all understand failure is fine. Talk about the fact that we should have conversations around failure. I wrote this book on uh, HDFC and Deepa Parikh and HTC Parikh. There were struggles. There were failures. There's conflicts that happened. And that is a journey that we need to kind of celebrate too. When we talk about our role models, we only talk about somebody who's reached the top. But what about the struggles? And there's a tendency to conflate the individual with the failure. So, you know, they almost become synonymous. And this is what we need to create a separation and remove some of the pressure. So moving from there, how much do you think that the education system is to blame for the poor mental health, especially of our younger people? You know, I have a friend who has a child who's in year nine. And the child is preparing now for your 10 and 12 exams already. And the parents are like pressurizing them so that they're not left behind because the other kids are also doing this. So how much do you think the education system and the way it is designed is to blame for this? So I'll go forward and come back. Good. Okay, to your yeah. answer. You're saying they should not be left behind. So those who are not left behind and they reach the top, 
whether it's top B schools or it's a corporate world, many of them are burnt out even before they reach 40. Many of them fight mental health issues even before they reach certain level. There is no happiness. There is no joy in what they're doing. They find no meaning in the work that they're doing. After yes. some time, they don't know what they're doing with their jobs. They don't have the courage to leave it because they are now in golden handcuffs. Okay, you will reach there. And then what? Mm-hmm. I will end up into a mental wreck. And there's another book by Clayton Christensen on how to measure your life. Very well-established professor at Harvard. Mm-hmm. And he says, how will you have fulfilling relationships? How will you have fulfilling careers? Mm-hmm. And how will you stay out of change? When you get great power comes great responsibility. Are we teaching them that? We're not. We're just saying, just succeed by all means. Reach the top by all means. Get the money, get the big car and a big house. And you know, you can show up to the world. And I, as parents and teachers say, oh, ah, that child is mine. Wow. And look at the pressure that person is going through. It's crazy. So is the education system to be blamed? 100%. Because look at the marks that we give students. It's out in the open. (laughs) Okay, everybody knows I've got an 80, 90% and the other person's got a 50%. What a super way of putting down somebody's self-esteem. And the guy with the 90% believes that, oh, wow, I'm God's gift to mankind now. Yeah, yeah. And that person comes into a B school or a top institute in the world. And now suddenly realizes there are others who are as good with the 90% as he or she is. And now I don't know how to manage that failure. Mm. That disappointment. So right from the beginning, right when we were in school and college, we are teaching our kids to be competitive. And telling our kids that this is one best way of answering a question. And sorry, Sudha, but I'm going to take you to three lessons that we learned in school, which we need to throw in the dustbin. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <Number> one, <laughs> teacher is always right. Teacher is not always right. The manager, the boss, the authority figure is always not right. There are too many perspectives to one thing. Second, reason I hated maths when I was growing up. Um, there is only one best method of answering the question. If I don't follow the steps, I will get less marks. Even if I get the right answer. And the third is that it is only through my own efforts will I reach success. And life teaches you it's not about independence, it's about interdependence. Where is that coming from? I haven't taught them any of those skills. True. And so it's a vicious circle. It's like at every level of our education system, we are pushing people to compete. Compete without knowing why we are competing. Yeah. And compete to reach that top, which we don't know what the top means. Also for a country which is well-known across the world for spirituality, we are so materialistic. We are so driven by materialism. Nothing else. So when I was talking about the educational system, Sudha, I was not only mentioning about India. Okay, yeah. I think it's like somewhere across the world we are doing. You had to ask me about the Indian education system. I think somewhere down the line we went astray. Because if you remember the Gurukul system, we were much ahead of what we are talking about today. So the Google system said that every child goes according to their own space. They grow up according to their space. Yeah. But somewhere down the line, we followed the West without knowing why we were following the West. That's where yeah. things went wrong. I think some countries are doing extremely well as far as the education system is concerned. It's allowed to fail. People have safety nets. If you fail, we don't have it in this part of the oh, world. Yeah, we don't have them. Parents don't. also don't have the bandwidth probably. So, you know, we are talking about mental health, we're talking about systems and we're talking about institutions. One part of it is the mindset change behavior at the individual level. The other part is the institutional level, the systems and the education system, the policies, etc. that we have around how exams take place, the competitive exams. So both of those need to coalesce at some place and it makes more sense and it sort of 
gives some freedom to the aspirants in the school system and in the higher education system but this requires resources right do you believe that we have investment in this area and also the government energy and interest in making that change so there are pockets of changes that are happening i would be optimistic in the sense that changes are happening in india but not matching with the world the way it needs to change so there is policy change i think we have a new government policy where we introduce interdisciplinary courses within engineering colleges so that it's not only about science and maths it's also about learning other subjects because it builds up your perspectives yeah. so things are changing things are moving in that direction but i think they need to kind of hasten up they need to move forward faster and that i think the systemic change that has to happen has to happen at all levels at one go and people yeah. have to have these conversations with each other so policy changes i sit there and make a policy change how much is it percolating down below and if it is not percolating why is it not percolating we need to immerse ourselves build prototypes so i believe that immersing in this problem a very very wicked mysterious problem we don't know what actually the problem is so we need to kind of immerse ourselves into the problem understand bring ideas build prototypes at all levels and those prototypes have to be reiterated back into the space and then say whether are we in the right direction we can't come up with one policy and say let's change the world it's all going to change mm-hmm. we'll have to bridge prototypes of those policies prototypes of those government reforms prototypes of happening across at all levels of the society what are we doing there at the grassroots level what are we doing in the smallest cities of the world across what are we doing for developing countries what are we doing at every level Absolutely and I agree with your point that these changes also systemic changes or the individual changes all of this cannot be piecemeal you know we've done this today we'll think about it 5 years later it has to be transformative change hmm. all the momentum has to be behind it to bring about that change I've noticed that in the past decade there have been more and more conversations around mental health especially with celebrities talking about it Deepika Padukone talks about it there are a couple of others who speak about it and so the drawing room conversations and coffee chats on mental health have increased but i've also noticed that these conversations are more about other people and what is happening to other people and when it comes to individuals within the family i think people tend to still clam up and that pressure from the people in the family pretty strong they don't want to let others know that their son daughter mother father or someone in the household has mental health issues do you believe this is the case that people still are not as accepting i mean everywhere across the world i think there is a lot of progress that needs to be done but i think india specifically the number of deaths and suicides that i've heard about is like heartbreaking actually left me with a lot of thinking and i am trying to understand where do i start answering your question so i traveled to the us this time for a conference of american psychological association and academy of management and i had these people openly talk about i have a bipolar and i take my medicine morning and evening or yeah. somebody come and tell me like oh i cannot meet you at this time because i have some conflict happening in the family or i'm not able to manage something yeah. And, yeah. and openly talking about it right or somebody saying that you know i have somebody in the family who is going through real tough suicidal tendencies and i you take care of that person and then i'll come back and have a meeting yeah. with you sometime later i think we need to really have a mirror in front of ourselves because how many of us sudha will come and tell okay i have somebody in my family who's got mental illness 
because with the mental illness there's so much of stigma attached maybe the celebrities are coming and talk about their mental health which is a good thing happening now but the earlier movies would put you into in some kind of a asylum and in the english movies all are showing you mental sickness means you are in some electric shocks and something yeah. is really happening to you which is bizarre right it doesn't happen and so people get scared so if i have a problem with my physical health i openly talk about it and i get a lot of empathy and sympathy from people Mm. But the moment that open up and say, "Listen, I'm going to have anxiety issues." My God, people run five miles away from me. Yeah, yeah. I don't have anything to do with you. And if you have anxiety issues, how will you solve our problems? If you're a professor or a mother or whatever, whatever, my God, you're not supposed to have any of those issues. Super people. And you're super people, right? Super mom, super teacher, super mm. everything. But the question is, we are not accepting that particular piece, and because we do not accept it in our minds, we do not know how to deal with it. that also i'm very very extremely happy that people who have gone through the mental health issues are coming out in the open and say i've had this issue i've had this problem they are actually at least spreading the awareness so that's the first piece mm-hmm. secondly we need to educate people for example and i'll just kind of take one example is educate them to manage their disappointments how i respond to a situation it depends a lot on my upbringing so what do i do either i overachieve or i underachieve how many times do i seek to understand and question my own expectations or expectation that i have from other people now this could be the starting point of a common denominator say mental health issues are basically i'm either feeling lonely mm. or i'm feeling disappointed or i'm feeling helpless mm. i do not know what to do and at that point of time i am putting all the symptoms under the carpet as a parent as a teacher as a family member the moment i putting all these things under the carpet saying hey disappointment there's nothing like disappointment achieve more mm. there's nothing like loneliness go meet people go to a party okay yeah. there's nothing like failure i'm pushing this under the carpet suddenly it's like simmering right and i'll tell you what we are doing at spjmr we have this psychological safe space called vishwas i told you about we create this psychological spaces where we allow people to come and talk about their failures their disappointments and we have to create and create that particular space where people come and talk that's number 1 we've also recently started it's called let's have conversations around mental health and you won't believe it's so difficult for people even if i'm sharing my mental health issue for example for the others who are listening are feeling uncomfortable they don't know what to do they're so uncomfortable even listening to anybody else's stories you know it's okay to listen to somebody on the tv or on the television or in a movie or some famous actor is talking about their mental but listening to somebody close by my god Yeah. you have to see their faces they want to they like run away from that place so even if somebody has the courage to open up the others are saying i don't have the courage and then this a lot of stigma so people hide the whole stuff and you know like i said either push it under the carpet where people are able to cope with situations but we don't allow them to cope who thinks that we are very very ingrained into our conditioning so either i'm shaming you because you're not reaching the expectation i shame you because you're not behaving the so called normal and if i am not able to shame you then i put you on to a guilt trip see how much i'm doing you and how much i have spent my life looking after you and see what you do with me i think these are wrong emotions to give as gifts to our children absolutely and i think also what doesn't help is this idea of a perfect world that they see in the online space and on social media where you know everyone has a million friends and everyone has like thriving and as beautiful and as brilliant because they don't show sadness or emotion over there as pickup is you know the thing you said about 
people in the room feeling discomfort when you share even your own story. And we have to start getting comfortable with having some discomfort. So coming to the end of our questions, what is your vision for Vishwas? So it's a psychological safe space we have tried to create, right? And I would want that it is self-sustaining. It doesn't have to be dependent on an individual. And it should just move forward, this psychological safe spaces. And we should be able to create those conversations which are agendaless, for conversations where we can have crucial, uncomfortable conversations without the fear of judgment, without the and, and total acceptance from people around you. I think that is a very difficult uh, piece, but we are trying to work uh, a lot on it. Celebrating your failures while you celebrate your successes, sharing your vulnerabilities, and it's fine. It's okay not to be okay at times, yeah. right? So yeah. those kind of conversations, I think that's my vision. But you know, Sudha, when I look at and talk to you today, and uh, the fact that you are talking to me today, I want to extend my vision beyond just this institute. I want to create a vision for the world. Okay, and that is why we started something called the Nest.io. We started something called the Talk to Us. And during the COVID times, we also did some work for COVID doc- doctors. So the vision is, it goes beyond SP and goes into the world where we can create social communities of well-being across the world. And replicate this prototype that we've been able to create. And I, I'm able to collaborate with people who are in the same space, who feel the same way about uh, creating those spaces where people can have those conversations without being judged. I need to kind of latch on to a macrocosm of the universe and kind of make it happen across the world. You get up in the morning and you hear somebody talking about this podcast, you hear somebody having these conversations because that's important. Mm. And the more we do it, the more we'll be making a difference to that one life that, you know, we are able to impact. We're not running after numbers here. It's not about quantitative. It's about quality. That one person, where that one doctor who treated a COVID patient during COVID got heard and he listened his vulnerabilities and fears that person that made a difference to that part, one person that's it one person feeling lonely one person feeling fear, scared one person feeling disappointed one person or doesn't know how to manage the failure that if we can make that one person change understand accept for who they are i think we made a difference and so that's something that my vision was like maybe too large a vision hmm. Wishing you all the best for this vision. It is very selfless and it is something that very much needed in our world today. I think it's a brilliant idea that you create prototypes and you grow beyond where you are within the institution and make it something that is accessible to more people across the world. That sounds amazing. And on that note, I'd like to thank you very much for being here today and sharing your insights and deep experience on this topic, which which you are very, very passionate about. Thank you so much, Lata. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much too. You're doing wonderful work yourself. And I like your podcast name also. So, I mean, that's something we need to have these conversations. So I must congratulate you while you're wishing me luck. I wish you luck back and say that hope you can create those wonderful podcasts, which kind of make people start thinking and rethinking and realigning their lives to what's actually needed in the world. So God bless you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lata. Thank you for joining us this week on the Elephant in the Room podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on any of your favorite platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. And if you enjoyed listening to the podcast today, don't forget to write a review and tell your friends. Sign up on the link in the show notes to receive updates on our guest speakers, blogs, and events. 
And don't forget to tune in every Thursday for new episodes.